Hey, I'm Adam. And I'm Brian. Of Everyone Has a Podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 124, Aliens Movie Review. McBrien, along with Derek Myers, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. If you'd like to reach us on Twitter, you'll find Derek at Amaron underscore DM, and I will be at at C McBrien, and popgoesyourworld.com is our website for all of our contact information. Derek Myers, what is new in the world of pop culture for you? Hey, Chris. Uh, been a couple of weeks since we've had a chance to record, mm-hmm. and in that time, I have taken in a lot of movies. And watched a lot of television. As you are and wont to do, my friend, yes. It, of course. And we've got the Oscars coming up uh, mm-hmm. this weekend, as a matter of fact. So, you know, I've been making a point of trying to get through some of the Oscar movies I haven't seen yet. So I've taken in a lot of pop culture, a lot of media, but uh, that's not the focus of our show today. So I'll only touch base on a few of the really great ones that I watched because, you know, I want to recommend stuff for you to watch and for our listeners to watch if they haven't seen it already. Sure. So I got a documentary and I got a real movie. Not that documentaries aren't real movies. We'll start with the documentary. So uh, the documentary is called American Factory. It is on Netflix right now. It's a Netflix production. It is more than likely going to win the Oscar this weekend for best documentary feature. Uh, It is the heavy favorite. Um, At the end of the calendar year, President Obama tweeted out a list of his favorite movies and TV shows from the past year. There was like about 20 or Mm -hmm. 21 items on the list. This was one of the ones on his list. And in all uh, full disclosure, I think his production company actually was one of the the groups that funded this. So a little bit of... uh, of self-interest in that one, but it's fantastic. The idea in a nutshell is uh, in the mid 2000s in Dayton, Ohio, a G I think it was GM plant closed down because of the economic downturn. Everyone in the plant was laid off. The plant was shut, shut down and the town lost a lot of jobs. A couple years later, a Chinese investor comes in and says, I'm going to buy the factory. I'm going to change it a little bit so that it's making automotive glass, like windshields, not full cars, just the glass products for, for automotives. And he brings in half the staff from China because he's already got factories in China that do this. And he hires half of the rest of the employees from Dayton, half the people who had lost jobs previously. Come on back to this factory. We'll give you new jobs. But these people were making like $30, $40 an hour in the GM plant as part of the union. And now they're making like 10 bucks an hour, no union under the new boss. And so there's a a lot of disparity and a lot of – uh, ill will, if you will, like people are glad they got a job, but they're kind of bitter that they have to work twice as hard and make a third as much. And there's a lot of cultural differences. There's a lot. There's obviously a language barrier. So it's just this really interesting look. I think the documentary takes place over like five or six years, and it follows a number of the employees through uh, their careers. Some of them quit. Some get laid off. Some do very well. And it's different levels of management, right down to the guy who sweeps up the glass particles off the floor. It's really, really good, and uh, it, it's a very timely movie to just see. Like, it, it's a it's an accurate representation of like, you know, the the global economy and uh, and where our economy is here in North America. So, American Factory, fantastic doc. I highly recommend it. The other one is a foreign film. It's called Parasite. It's nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars this weekend. It's nominated for a bunch of other stuff. The director's nominated. Screen Best Screenplay. Uh, 
I've it heard is, it's very good. It is fantastic. Yeah. Now, if for some reason, I was under the impression that Parasite was a horror movie. And so I didn't really want to see it. And then after it got nominated for all these awards, I thought, you know what? I better go and see it. Now, it is uh, a South Korean film. So the dialogue is all in Korean. It's Amer- uh, English subtitles, uh, which I know will put some people off. But it, you got to you got to look past that. It is it is fantastic. It is arguably one of the best movies I saw this year. I, it, it's probably not going to win the Oscar. I think 1917 is going to take it. But if 1917 doesn't win, I think uh, Parasite is probably the number two movie to step in there and potentially take that best picture nod. Um, I, I don't really want to say a lot about it because I don't want to spoil it. But it is not a horror movie. It is fantastic. I strongly recommend people take a look at it. And um, yeah, we'll see how it does at the Oscars this weekend. Very good. You and I always put together an Oscar ballot. We're going to do that again this this time. Yeah, for sure. We'll have a little contest. Yeah, for bragging rights. We always do that. Uh, I think you're going to be proud of me. I hope. So as you know, I only like watching old stuff and I watch the same things over and over again. That's what I do. That's the whole point of this podcast. But I've actually discovered something new. You're so proud of me and I've been watching it. So on Netflix, I've actually, it's a Canadian show too. So you should be doubly proud. I started watching this show called Kim's Convenience. It's a new show and it's on Netflix and I absolutely love it. Derek, I'm actually watching something new. Are you proud? Well, I, I am very proud for a couple of reasons. Okay. So Kim's Convenience, uh, the, the lead of Kim's Convenience is uh, actually a good friend of mine. Paul Lee, Paul Sun Hyung Lee is oh, yes, uh, the Paul actor Sun-Hyung, who plays, yes. plays Appa. He's the dad. So the, the premise uh, of Kim's Convenience is, as, as the title would indicate, it's a, uh, a Korean-Canadian family who uh, owns the convenience store. And you have you know, first-generation immigrants. And so you've got kids that were born and raised in Canada with parents that were born and raised in Korea and uh, – you know, it's 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 a good slice of life comedy. It's it's teaches you, you know, it's one of these ones that teaches you a lesson every episode, makes you feel good. There's a lot of hilarious hijinks, and and the cast is outstanding. And my friend Paul, who's the lead, is uh, is uh, doing very well. He's he's a tremendous actor. Kim's Convenience was actually a play before it was a TV show, and he was uh, Appa in the long-standing run of the play. So, yeah, he's uh, he's really good. I mean, the whole cast is good. That's so cool. Like we know famous people. Like, because I, because another thing happened to me with, uh, remember a couple of weeks ago on one of our episodes, I mentioned that I don't really like the tragically hip, you know, I know it's a Canadian yeah, thing. Boo, I, boo, I know, Chris. I know, whatever. Chris, I'm just being honest. I know I'm the guy that doesn't like anything. Right. Uh, so then all of a sudden I mentioned that on the podcast and, um, Kurt Kalin reached out to me and he is the lead guitar player for the tragically hip cover band, the hundredth Meridian. Out west, they're like this big cover band out there, right? Like they're really well known. And uh, so, anyway, he reached out to me and he's like, "Hey, man, I'm going to send you a T-shirt of our band, Hundredth Meridian." So he sent me a T-shirt of the band, and I took a picture of myself at the hockey game, uh, where that's so such a Canadian thing. I was drinking like Tim Hortons coffee at a hockey game, wearing a tragically hip shirt, and I put it up on their uh, on their social media page. And uh, so it's so funny, like we both know all these famous people. Like it's it's Canada. I guess we everybody knows everybody up here, right? You yeah, know? of course, of this course. Is the way it is. Well, it's it's funny you mention that because I also got a shout out from Kurt, and he's going to send me a t shirt too because oh. he doesn't want me to feel left out. Oh, that's so. So nuts. when that arrives, I will do what you did, put it on, take a picture somewhere iconically Canadian, nice. and uh, and post it so that uh, everyone can see that at least one of us likes the hip and can appreciate a band that does cover tunes of the tragically hip all of us canadians we might not all like the tragically hip but we all like hockey and we all know each other so there's that all right let's hit it 
Why didn't anyone tell me my was so big? Joke after joke after joke after joke. We ate fast. I bet she gives great helmets. Never watch that part again. This is dumb. This is dumb. How many we got on this ship anyhow? Not nearly as bad as say something like Revenge of the Nerds. Evil will always triumph over good because good is dumb. I don't think it's something I would want to watch over and over again. They don't make movies like this anymore. They just don't. Okay, so this week it was over to you. It was your turn to, to actually no, it wasn't. I called in my special favor at That's the end of the last right. episode. And after reviewing Alien, the Ridley Scott classic, I suggested it was supposed we, to be my pick. And yes, you stepped in. That's right. I did indeed. Because you like my movie, we knew that it was like a full moon. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I never like your movies. We're happening. Strange things were afoot at the Circle K. And uh, so we decided I, decided I enjoyed you agree. Yeah, just to set up. I enjoyed that you recommended Alien from 1979. And I loved it. It was one of the best movies, if not the best movie that has ever been nominated on this pod that I had not seen. You know, I just thought it was fantastic. So instead of me nominating a movie, you decided that you would say, hey, I want you to watch the sequel. Aliens, yeah, let's, right? let, let's let's ride that gravy yeah. train all the way through. <laughs> Chris likes one. Let's get him to like two. So I, I firmly believe that Aliens, the second movie in this film franchise, is every bit as good as the first one and arguably better than the first one. And I'm not alone in that. If you look up a list online and you say, show me a sequel that's better than the original, there, it's a very short list and there's very little room for debate on these. And you get, usually the lists is something like Empire Strikes Back, Terminator 2, Godfather 2, Aliens. That's usually the list. And then sometimes people will say, well, you can't count Godfather, you can't count Empire because those are parts of trilogies. And that's part, you know, the middle second act of a third act story. Again, that that might be debatable. But Aliens is a standalone movie that builds on the success of the first one in such a way at, to to drive the story forward, but take it in a new direction. I love it. It's one of my all time faves. In fact, it's arguably my wife's all time favorite movie. And we were going to have Kay come on to the pod for us. But unfortunately, due to some technical difficulties, we had to reschedule at the last minute, so she was unable to join us. But she and I watched the movie, and she gave me some speaking points. So I'll be telling you all the reasons that I think this movie is fantastic, and I will do my very best to articulate why Kay thinks this movie is fantastic. And Chris, when it comes to your turn, I certainly hope we're going to hear all the reasons why you think it's fantastic oh yeah absolutely and you're you're right uh, you know we, we weren't able to get Kay in here we mentioned that she would but we're we're going to bring her at the end we're going to bring her back at the end for our trivia segment tonight so we're going to we're going to do that so we'll get her on for that for sure i think there was actually a time you know we were talking about Kay when she had said that i don't know there was some movie that i talked about that i didn't like and she's like that's it he and i can't be friends anymore yeah Something she's like Unfriend. That's what she usually tells me. Every week after we report, record a podcast where I've recommended a movie and I'll, I'll go upstairs to go, oh, how was the show? I'm like, oh, good. And how's Chris? Oh, he's good. And how's his family? How's his kids? A whole bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. Okay. How do you, how do you think of the, what do you think of the movie? How do you like it? I'm like, well, he, he didn't like it. And she's like, okay. unfriend that guy. Stop, you know, unfriend, unfriend. I think the full Monty was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back because oh, she yeah. really, really likes that movie. But, um, yeah, yeah. No, I remember that. And, and I know that this is like her, one of her, this is her, like her favorite movie of all time or one of her top favorite movies of all time. And it switches. You, yeah. It's, she says it switches. It's between Star Wars, Shawshank Redemption and Aliens. Those are, I believe her top three favorite ever all time movies. 
and the order will change depending on the day of the week and, and what mood she's in and what she's seen lately and the weather and all that, you know, again, there, as far as she's concerned, the needle is so close on all three of those. And I would say more often, more often than not, if I say, give me your top three favorite movies, Aliens is the first one that she says. And I'm sure that, uh, you know, I'd have to go back and take a look. I'm sure that at some point we did an episode on our favorite sequels of all time. And I think Yancey even had mentioned Aliens, that he thought Aliens. And I and you're right. You're not the only one. There's I've seen it online before. People have said that it's the greatest sequel, you know, ever made. And I know that uh, Kay was really mad at me for not liking that movie, uh, whatever it was that... Uh, you said the full Monty or whatever, and this is her favorite movie all of, of all time. You go down the list. Yeah, you also. Uh, so I'm going to tie this back to a little something I said a few minutes ago. One of the movies you disliked a lot was mm-hmm. Snowpiercer. Yeah, I no, I didn't like. Had that a very all. creative name for it. Mm-hmm. It didn't take <laughs> right. a lot of imagination. Right. Uh, the director of Snowpiercer, same director who directed Parasite, which could very well win the Best Picture Oscar this weekend. Right. Just um, FYI. So obviously, I watched Alien. 1979 and absolutely loved it like i just loved it so much so of course i'm going to commit to this sequel and love this it's the greatest sequel of all time and actually i rented it on itunes because i went online and it wasn't available on um, on netflix or anything like that and i go to rent it on itunes and it's got like five stars and then it shows on itunes too the rotten tomatoes and it's 99 percent on rotten tomatoes i'm like holy smokes this movie is fantastic i can't wait so I know it's just me. I'm obviously in the minority. I'm sorry, dude. I didn't like it. I'm missing something. I'm sorry. You suck. I know. Unfriend. Unfriend. That's it. Here's the thing. Alien, when I watched Alien, I loved it. And and the thing was, Alien was very minimalist, right? And that's what made it brilliant for me. But this one was different. This is like this big, splashy action movie. It was big and predictable. I... And the other thing is, is, and I know, you know, I don't really like new movies, but I feel like this movie could just have easily been made in 2019 as 1986. You know, it's just this big and splash. I just, oh man, I didn't like it. I thought it was dumb. I'm sorry. Oh. Yeah, you're wrong. You're just flat out, you're wrong. That's all. I know. Yeah, I mean, you can have your opinion, but sometimes your opinion's going to be wrong. What, how do they say that? In a democracy, people have the right to make the wrong choice. Mm-hmm. You've made the wrong choice, and, and, and we'll the, spend and the next is, little while explaining why you've made the wrong choice. Because well, I want to hear, I want to hear you justify this uh, this terrible take on this fantastic. Well, movie. and I I get it because, like you say, everybody loves this movie. They think it's the greatest sequel ever made. It's this, it's that, and I'm like, I know I'm in the minority. Like I said, it was like 99 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. All these stars it gets. I know it's just me, but I mean, okay. So I usually when we do these movies, what I like to do is kind of like take a walk back through the movie and start at the beginning of the film and just break it all down. And just kind of go through the movie. And maybe that'll help us to kind of, you know, maybe figure this whole thing out. What do you think? Okay. So, well, before we do that. Sure. Let me paint it with some broad strokes. And and I think this might give you a little bit of, of foundation. So the first one, I, I agree with everything you said. It's this minimalist movie. You have a small cast, enclosed space. And, and it's it's very much a, a thriller or almost like a horror movie in that sense. It's... it's um, you know, it, it, it's it's minimal is the best word I can think of to describe it. If you're going to do a sequel, you've got a couple of options. You can just do what almost every other sequel does. You just rehash the plot of the first movie and you just, you know, tweak a couple of names or blow up twice as many things or whatever your, your movie happens to be. You, you lean on that. You lean into it. And unfortunately, in a lot of cases, in most cases, you're like, eh, I've sort of seen this already, but uh, you know what? I liked it the first time, so yeah, sure, give me another shot of that. 
with this one, I like part of the reason I liked it so much is it didn't just do that. In fact, it it looked at what the original offered. It took some of the pieces, some of the pieces that seemed to work, and then James Cameron looked at it and went, "How can I run with this, but do it in a way that's not just retelling the first one? Like you, you're going to lean on a little bit of that first one because obviously people." pay to see the sequel with certain expectations that there's going to be some familiarity. So you have Sigourney Weaver's character um, is still in this and is the, the, the star and no, no questions about that. Even in the movie poster, it's a picture of her with a really big gun. So you're like, okay, Sigourney Weaver's going to kick ass in this one. And that's great. We love that in the first one. And we're going to love it even more in the second one. And you got to think this came out in what year was this one? 86. Yes. So, you know, in the eighties, you don't have a lot of movies where the lead is a female character that's kicking ass, that is every bit as awesome as, say, Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sylvester Stallone or any of those other male action heroes of the time. So, like, this is this is arguably a revolutionary kind of movie in that sense. And I think we talked a little bit about this in the the review of the first one, so I won't tread on that too much. And then. In order to to take this in this new direction, instead of going – instead of having this minimalist on a small, tiny ship, the story demonstrates some scope at the beginning that things are taking place in a different planet on a space station in a faraway moon. Like it gives you a sense of scope, a sense of sc- size. You've got this large world that's being created and then the story takes you to a smaller, familiar setting from the first one and – you're in this colony. So yeah, you still have this enclosure, but it's not as tight as the first one. And because it's a bigger space, you have more than one alien. The first one's called alien. You have one in this one, aliens, you got a whole bunch. You've got, uh, more heroes. You've got more victims. You've got more of everything. And when you, you start to add all that together, the movie is an action movie. It's a, it's a, you know, blow them up, shoot them up. Partly because that's what was popular at the time and partly because Cameron felt that that's something that would work with this franchise. And I, for me, that's part of what I love about it. It's not just you got this suspenseful movie in the first one and it's quiet and it's slow and it's minimal. And then in the second one, we're going to give you more of that. It's like, no, I've already seen that. Show me something different. And he does. He shows you something different, but not different enough that you're that you're completely lost. At least I don't feel I was completely lost. And you get all these these – uh, new characters, some of whom are not nearly as fleshed out as the characters from the first movie, but you you definitely have um, you know a new dynamic that's introduced here. Uh, so, with all of that being said, mm-hmm. Chris, take it away. All right, tell us tell us what you think. So, this is the thing you mentioned something very interesting, and it was a good point too that a lot of sequels are just a rehash of the first movie, and that's what you you know you're saying this this is not you know, the case here, I would say that it is the case here, but in a bad way. And, and I'll, I'll get to that. I'll, I'll point that out as we go through this, but I'd like to like kind of break down the film. So the movie opens up with the shuttle from the first movie, right? So like for me, I'm watching this and I'm like, it, it's picking up right where the other movie left off. This is so cool. Right. And then there's like that, that robot cuts open the door, like with like the, the, the kind of like the welding thing. Right. And then they're on this space station, and Paul Reiser, by the way, he's like so young, especially if you've watched him in uh, Stranger Things or I've also seen him in the, in the Kaminsky Method and he's like so old now. Yeah. But um, but anyway, so then 
um, Ripley's character, she starts like convulsing. And I'm like, oh man, it's just like John Hurt, right? And then it, it, I guess it's just a dream, right, that she's having. And she goes before this panel and it, and that's when you realize it's been like 57 years have passed. I guess she was hibernating the whole time. And uh, two things in this scene stood out to me. Number one, it's 57 years later and everyone is still smoking in space, by the way. And number two, 57 years later, and Paul Reiser is still wearing his collar up like it's 1986. Oh, of course. Everything everything in fashion is cyclical, right? <laughs> Pop collars are going to be a big thing 200 years from now. <laughs> so she wakes up again, and then I'm like, is this another dream? Like, what's going on? So I'm a little bit confused at this point, but that's fine. You know, I'm, 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 on, I'm, I'm in for the ride. And then she has a conversation with him, and she's like, well, you're going to go back, because like, he wanted to her to go back there right to this planet where these yeah eggs i mean are. not initially but yes eventually uh so one of the themes that's in this movie that is in the first one but maybe not as on the nose is the whole idea of there are corporations and there are people that run those corporations that are in it for the money and if people have to die to make the money that's okay money is good greed is good and in the first one, you have the the towards the end of the movie, Ripley gets access to the computer and realizes that they're like, it says something like, bring the alien specimen back and the crew is expendable. Right. You know, and that's that. sort of the example of the the value of this biological organism is more valuable to the company than the crew. Even if they have to pay out life insurance policies and hush money to families, that's going to be nothing compared to the dollars and cents they could make. And so that theme is is picked up and amplified in this one where the company, Paul Reiser, is like the the face of the of the right. man, the corporation. And, you know, one of the things he says is is because at the beginning they tell they say to Ripley, like, you blew up the ship and it was worth a lot of money. And, and you know, someone's got to pay for this literally and figuratively because there's no evidence of this alien you talk about. As far as we're concerned, you're a crazy woman who blew up a ship. It's worth millions of dollars. And, you know, Reiser's character says, like, after a little few scenes have passed – that they're going to go back to this colony because, you know, they've lost contact and maybe there are aliens there. Maybe Ripley was right. And so there's this this negotiation, if you will, where he's like, hey, I can I can get you cleared. I can have your uh, she has to do like psychological treatment. Right. Or, or right. But she's doctor but, was- but she jumps in. She's like, but you're you're only if we go back to destroy them. Right. Like right. not to study them or bring them back, but we're going to wipe them out. And he's yeah. like, you have my word. Absolutely. Yeah. And then she's like, okay, I'm in. And then th- I remember th- the thing I note that I made was on the computer. It shows a list of all the names. And then y- th- you see her name is E. Ripley. And I remember we talked about when we, the last episode when we, when we watched Alien was that they all go by their last name. So I'm like, oh, we have an initial here, uh, you know, for, for the first name. Yep. And then at this point, this is where we meet Bill Paxson. And his character. And he basically just is channeling that obnoxious Chet older brother character from weird science at this point. Yep. You know, that's, that's I guess that's all he'd done before this, right? And then this is where they're introducing the other characters. And there's the guy, remember he does that like knife trick like over his hand? Yeah. And then he cuts himself and he bleeds the milk. So then you're like, okay, this guy's a robot like Ash from the first movie. So they're setting up all the characters, which is great, right? But at this point... My first impression is that the cast in this movie is not as good as in the first one. The first movie, had a great cast, man. Great cast. And I just, I don't know. I just thought that it, the cast in this movie wasn't as good. Yeah, I'll give you that. I mean, uh, some of the people in this in this cast 
had ended up going on to be uh, prolific. Like Bill Paxton is a good example. Like that guy yep. probably made a hundred movies. Like he was in everything. He wasn't going to win an Oscar. Don't get me wrong. But I, when his when he was in a movie, I was entertained. And uh, you know, a lot of the other actors in, like Paul Reiser, obviously had a good career. Um, you know, Lance Hendrickson, who plays Bishop the Android, he he ended up being in a lot of stuff. So you, you know, some of the character and Sigourney Weaver herself, of course. Um, so some of the actors in this went on to do other work, and that you saw in films. But yeah, I, I definitely think that the quality of acting in the first one was better. And I, I just think, in my opinion, that is reflective of the type of story they were telling mm-hmm. and the direction they received. Like to me, and again, I can only guess I'm not an actor. I wasn't on set, but the James Cameron movies, you know, with the exception of maybe Titanic, he's not out to direct you to win an Oscar. Mm-hmm. He wants you to tell an entertaining story. And a lot of his stories are, fast shoot them up blow them up special effects uh creative whatevers and this is this is more of that it's it's you know bringing the people that can pretend they're marines act like they're they're the space marines they're gonna shoot stuff and fight stuff and blow stuff up and and display uh display and portray all the different archetypes you got the the you know the gruff leaders like it's every day is a, a great day in the car like you should be thankful you're here and then you have like the 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 characters who are like just muscle bound i'm here because i want to fight stuff is this just another bug hunt and then you of course got the wisecracking you know private hudson uh, you know based on his rank he's obviously not very senior he's trying to make a name for himself and it's obviously he's chosen to be the joker of the group uh you know so you have you have all the all the archetypes represented and Mm -hmm. uh you know i i think that's that's just part of the story camera's trying to tell it's like we want to make it bigger we want to make it you know bring this one to 11 you know we want to just amp it up well i agree with the easiest way to do that i do agree with you in the sense that the 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 direction is very different in the two movies and we'll come back to that in in a minute but one thing that i thought was cool at this point was there's that machine thing that the guy kind of like i don't know if you'd say he walks inside of it like he gets in and he kind of runs it like to pick up all the heavy stuff and and move it it's like this mechanical suit of armor thing the thing that struck me about it was like there's no CGI. It's 1986. It looks so much better. Like they use real hydraulics on it. You can see it, right? Like it, yeah. I thought it looked really, really good. So that I thought was really, really cool. We well, were saying when we watched it, we're like, if forklifts, this is basically just a forklift. We're yeah, like, kind of. If, but if, you ride it, you, 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 you walk in the, it, right? Yeah. If they had forklifts now that looked like that and worked in that way. There would be a reality show called Forklift Wars, and okay. they would have people in those things fighting each other, and yep. it would be the highest rated show on TV. That's a, that's a good point. Um, one thing – so I did like that. One thing I, I thought that, that I did really like was then that small spaceship that they go into to, like, to go down the planet or whatever it is, and it's like – it's camouflage, and so are their uniforms. They're in space, for crying out loud. You don't need to wear camouflage in space. It's like that stupid Space Force thing that they're doing in the in the U.S., like the uniforms camo. Like, I don't know. I just, that struck me as being very odd. I don't know. Just a, a stupid point. But uh, so anyway, so they, they, they Chris, get it. If they're not in camo, how else do you know they're army guys? I guess, you're, army guys, right? I guess you're right. Good point. What do you want them dressed in Starfleet, Star Trek, <laughs> uh, you know, the Reds? Hey, you got the red shirt. Watch out. You're not coming back from this mission. <laughs> you're the first one that dies. Yeah. Uh, so so they take this 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 uh, spaceship and they go down to like this base or whatever it is. And I thought it was interesting because I see like there, like there was a bar there. And so it yeah, obviously it was, was, yeah, it was like a colony inhabited with people, you know, but of course the whole no gravity thing is going on because there's like water dripping. So 
um, they find the, you had mentioned they're called face huggers from the last episode, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they find them and they're in like these vials and then one starts moving and it's alive. And then something comes up on the radar and then it turns out it's a little girl. Right? right. So I thought it was interesting because Ripley says to her, these soldiers were here to protect you. And she's like, it won't make any difference. Yep. So you just know like, okay, whatever's there, it's bad, you know. But <clears throat> I will say at this point, it's like, you know, an an hour into the movie. And at this point, like I'm, I was struggling to see how this is better than the original. And I've been told over and over that, you know, this is better than, than, than the original. It's the greatest sequel ever made. And at this point, I'm like, I just don't get it. You know, I didn't think the characters were as good. I don't think the suspense was as good. And the pacing wasn't as, as, as crisp. And the story and the acting and the directing, it just, it, it all wasn't as good for me. And I'm thinking like, okay, I'm missing out on something. So I think, I think the devil's in the details in this one. I mm-hmm. think the first time you see this, there's so much going on. And there's a lot of little details you may miss that when if you watch it a second time you start to pick up on them and you're like oh i missed that the first time that makes more sense so i think the things that you you need to have sort of been paying attention to up until this point is um ripley told them when she was being debriefed or or uh uh, she was like being there was like a court not it wasn't a courtroom but you know what i mean like she had to recount her tale in front of the bosses she had told them it's like we went to this planet, we found these eggs, we got the the facehugger went onto his thing, we brought it back to the ship, and then it turned into this other bigger, nastier alien, and I blew it out of the airlock and I blew up the ship. And then after the whole thing's all over, they basically say we're not going to reinstate you. You got to go to see a psychologist once a month, and you'll be lucky to find work again. And then she says to I think she says it to Paul Reiser's character. She's like, look, you don't believe me? Just go to the planet. And he says like, we don't have to go there. We've got people there. They're, it's been colonized for 20 years. And she's like, well, what are you talking about? And they're like, oh, they've gone down there. They, they're they terraformers. They put up these uh, um, structures to make the air breathable. It takes a couple of decades. And then we can move people there to, to live there. And then so you're like, oh, OK. What What is not immediately clear and what sort of happens off, off camera and you sort of have to piece it together is Paul Reiser representing – quote, the company Mm -hmm. realizes that if Ripley's telling the truth, again, back to their old motto, uh, you know, what, how can we make more money off of this? They're like, well, if there is alien technology there, possibly alien life forms on this planet, we want it, we want it, we want it and we want to own it. So uh, there was actually a deleted scene in the extended version where um, they send a family of the colonists out to the coordinates where Ripley said, like, this is where we landed. And so think of it this way. If a planet the size of Earth had, was uninhabited and Ripley's spaceship landed in Australia and found aliens. And then 20 or 30 years later, you send terraformers to where where is New York. They're not going to just stumble upon Australia unless you specifically tell them, go there. And so that's basically what's happened is the terraformers had been there but had been nowhere near this alien ship. So they had no, no problems until Paul Reiser, thinking he's creative – Ask them specifically, go to these coordinates, you might find something good, and if you do, we want it. And unfortunately, by doing that, the colonists, it, you know, it was a repeat of the first thing. The facehuggers sucked on them, they brought them back to the, to, the, to the base, and that's what we find when the characters show up later. There's those three tubes with the facehuggers in them, and, and one of the guys is reading the notes, and he goes, well, this one, was, this one died, 
uh, after successfully implanting an embryo into the human. This one, they managed to cut it off of the human, but they had to kill the human to do it. And so you realize, okay, now this is what's happened. The the people have inadvertently opened Pandora's box, and now they're kind of screwed. Well, yeah, because so, the, yeah, these are these are little details mm-hmm. which are not. They don't slap you in the face with them, but they're there. And after you've seen the movie and sort of know how it all comes together, when you watch it a second time, you really – you can find those little details and you're like, oh, OK. That was why this happened in this way and in this sequence. Because that was my thought the first time I saw it. I'm like, why did this happen all of a sudden once Ripley showed up? Like what, what changed? Well, what changed is she knew the exact coordinates. Go here. That's where there's an alien ship. And, and so – if you want to think of it that way, she's indirectly responsible for this. But if she hadn't had told them that and they had terraformed the whole planet, eventually someone would have found the ship anyway. So mm-hmm. you can you can let her off the hook for that. Well, and they, they find those bodies there that are like in this goo, you know, with the open egg and stuff like that. And the one person is alive and that's where the alien bursts out of the chest. And then that's where I kind of thought like they're just rehashing the first movie. And then I thought it was interesting because Ripley is, is she's the one that says we got to get out of here. And I remember in the last episode, you said Ripley, you know, you pointed out Ripley gave good advice and nobody took it. And the same thing is happening here. I'm like, again, it's a bit of a rehash. For me, the first movie was a horror film and this was a science fiction film. Oh, for sure. Action, adventure, sci-fi, right? Yeah, to the max. So if it's it's a science fiction film, though, then shouldn't it be like more, I don't know, not to try and get all science fiction nerdy and stuff, but like, like, shouldn't it be like more accurate or like 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 it should be like in the moment and like 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 have certain rules and stuff like for example in the first movie when they cut the the alien the 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 acid the blood went through all the floors remember Mm -hmm. and then there's a scene where the spanish girl shoots the alien and the acid blood like sprays out and kills a guy but then ripley is driving this like big tank and she runs over the alien and so obviously you can hurt and kill these things, you know, which is good. But when she runs over it, you see all the acid blood spray out everywhere, but it didn't go through the tank. Yeah. I, again, minor detail. No, uh, so I can, fiction, I can right? understand where you're coming from. Yeah. But again, this is one of those scenarios where, and this is always my big pet peeve with sci-fi movies. It's, it's supposed to be in the far future where technology is different. All you need is one line of dialogue earlier in the movie where someone's talking about what the tank is capable of doing and have them say something like wheels and chassis are made of blah, 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 <laughs> right. which is impervious exactly. to bullets and acid. And then when she drives over it, you're like, oh, well, we already knew it was impervious to acid. So there we go. No problem. Exactly. I was playing the evil Kirk, you know, and <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I thought it was interesting in the next scene because we realized that Ripley has also taken up smoking. So that was really nice. And um, then we're talking about the characters and stuff. And Michael Bain is in this movie. And thank God for James Cameron or else this guy would never work, apparently. I, I, I agree. And Kay and I were sort of joking about that. But I, you know what I, I just saw, Chris? I'm pretty sure Michael Bain is going to be at Fan Expo this summer signing autographs. Oh, we'll have to go down I'm there. I'm pretty sure I saw his name in the lineup. We'll have to go down there and and, and, and see him, and, and maybe we'll mention that to him and, and watch him punch us. I don't know. Yeah. No, uh, no. Um, so Bill Paxton is another guy that's in this movie. And the thing is, like I mentioned before, he's just kind of like that obnoxious character. And he, but he's just whiny, too. You know, like, he well, just, I, yeah. oh, my I, gosh, he's well, just— Well, I think, I think, so, yeah, definitely he's whining. But I think part of that comes from fear. Like, these are— 
the idea is that these are Marines. These are the toughest of the tough. They, they go to the places where ever, normal people don't go and they shoot the bad guys. And you get the sense that aliens are not all that common. Um, and this is a situation where things go from they think they're in control and in the, the drop of a hat, they're like completely not in control. And I think that that his whining is just to represent the sheer panic of someone who up until this point has been taught, don't fear anything. You're a Marine. You can do it. We're here. We, nothing can defeat us. And like suddenly they go from having like 40 Marines to having like five Marines after one sequence. And he even says it. They're like, you know, we're not going to survive however many days. Uh, you know, I, newsflash, we just got our butts kicked out here. Um, I, I think that's the whining, as annoying as it is, I think that's supposed to remind you that the people here, the people that are that are still alive are having a hard time emotionally handling it, except for Ripley, who, although she's having a hard time emotionally, she seems to be the only one that's keeping it together. And uh, and again, she's the one who takes charge when things really go wrong. She offers advice that they don't all take. Uh, but the scene you were talking about where she's in the tank and uh, the, the guy who's in charge there, um, Gorman, Lieutenant Gorman, who clearly has no field experience, has no idea what to do. And she's just like, get out of the way. She starts driving in. So it's uh, – yeah, despite the fact that Hicks is is or that Hudson rather is this, you know, this whiny complainer, you do see him in a few points in the movie demonstrating some skills technologically. Like he's the guy who uh, Jimmy's the electronic lock for them to get in the base. He's right. the one who yeah. they send when they're when they lock down, they go go on the computer, find the schematics like so it's clear that he's a uh, more of a tech nerd. Uh, then maybe a shoot him up. And maybe that's partly why at the beginning he's trying to seem so macho. Like maybe the rest of his unit gives him crap because they're like, you're just the nerdy guy here to do computers. And he's like, no, mm. I can shoot guns too. And so, of course, when things go wrong, he panics. Right. I, I, I guess, I mean, this sounds awful, but I was actually kind of glad to see him die. <laughs> you know, like, like and, and another one I was glad to see go was Paul Reiser's character, obviously, because he was the bad guy. Right. Yeah. And I love the fact what he like, he locks him out. You know, and you just know, oh, man, he's karma's going to get him, you know, in that yeah, scene. And it absolutely. Is, That's you know, exactly it. You know, um, and then there was another like, like, I think Ripley at that point, she was like 26 minutes. We got 26 minutes to get out of here. And I'm like, oh, is this another self-destruct thing? Is that another rehash thing? Um, I thought it was interesting because then Ripley is like, like she is 100 percent convinced that that little girl is still alive. I don't know what yes. makes her think that. But well, so they. Again, they've sort of established this and sort of not. In the first in the first movie, there was a deleted scene where um, – and we talked about this on our previous podcast. There are some scenes in the first movie where the alien engulfs the, the, the crew and you were like, oh, well, that guy's dead. But you don't ever actually see the bodies for a couple of them. You just assume that it happens off camera and your imagination is is left to run wild. There's a deleted scene in the first one where Ripley uh, actually stumbles across this area where the alien has brought the surviving crew members and sort of cocooned them up in that goo yeah, and impregnated yeah. them with, with more aliens. And when she finds the captain, Dallas is like, kill me, kill me, so that in this sequel – when the when they find the the colonists and they're like, hey, they're all alive, and the first one just wakes up and starts going, kill me, kill me, and then it cuts to Ripley and she's freaking out because it's like she's seen this happen before, she knows what's coming next, and so she actually is more terrified than everyone else because she knows that how dire the circumstances. So when they capture Newt, she even says that she goes, 
they don't just kill for the sake of killing. They need hosts so they can reproduce. Right. So for that reason, she's convinced the little girl is alive and uh, or at least will be for the right. short for the short term. And, and that's that's what we see when when she goes to rescue Newt. Newt is um, is like gooed up on the wall and there's an egg right in front of her. And you like we see it open and, and she the little girl starts screaming. So clearly what Ripley suspected was correct. They they had every intention of keeping her alive just long enough to have one of these aliens, you know, hug her face and 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 uh, destroy her her body in the process. Well, and like you mentioned, that whole sort of mucus cocoon thing, you know, so the egg can put the face hugger on and all that that whole concept. I gotta say, I liked it better when they did that in Battlestar Galactica. Remember when the Ovions were down in the basement and they put the people in the honeycombs. Special effects weren't as good, obviously, but I, I just I liked it better. Um, so anyway, so then they, they, they go on and they find this sort of queen bee alien that lays the eggs. Yeah. And then Ripley uses the flamethrower to like blast them all and like hard boil them all and everything. And, and just something you mentioned earlier, I want to go back to because you, we talked about the direction between Ridley Scott in the first film and, and, uh, and James Cameron in this one. I thought Ridley Scott just is a better director. I just... You also mentioned you're not an actor, but Ridley Scott seemed to get a better better performances out of his actors. Yeah, know? I agree. I, I think, again, I think that just speaks to the different styles of the director. I mean, hey, I love both of their movies um, for different reasons. They're both very successful. I mean, Cameron has made more money than, well, probably any director other than Spielberg, I would think. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, they're both good at what they do, but they do different things. Yeah. And then it's getting kind of near the end of the film and there's that whole self-destruct scene again, which is another rehash for me. I like the scene though when they get they're trying to get away in the elevator and they're like trying to push the button and the door's not closing. And I'm like, I've been there before. <laughs> Who hasn't been there? You try yep. to push the button on an elevator, it doesn't close. Um and then they go up the elevator and then the the alien comes up the elevator shaft after them. But then I thought it was interesting because in the first film and up until this point in the movie, in this movie, Ripley is like this, like you mentioned before, like this female hero that you had never really seen before. And even to this day, it's still not all that common. But then in that scene, then she had to get saved. You know, the guy, the robot guy in the shuttle, he well, comes to her rescue, yeah. right? And I think that that was done in such a way as to try and be a callback to the betrayal. Like she had obviously not trusted the Android because in the first movie, the Android turned out to be bad, right? It took orders from the corporation. It did. It didn't care for the human life. Whereas in this movie, the Android literally quotes Asimov's laws of robotics. So you're, you're hopefully thinking, well, this is a new breed of Android. This is a, a friendly Android that will, help humans and save them and when she comes up on the platform the ship's gone you're like oh man she was totally right that that robot's a jerk and then yeah i guess yeah, like you said then then he shows up in the ship and he even he even apologizes later he said I, I didn't abandon you but i had to take off because the platform wasn't strong enough to support the ship anymore and i didn't want to risk everybody and i knew i could come back for you kind of thing but and cameron kind of kind of revisited that concept again in in t2 right yes Yes, uh, so that's interesting. Um, and, and so anyway, at this point, it's like, OK, so they get in the thing and it's like I knew right away. I'm like, it can't be over because it's like a kind of a rehash of the first movie. Like they've got to do have that gotcha moment. And then there's that one big alien that follows them on the ship. 
And then Ripley gets into that big machine thing again that you talked about, the kind of like the forklift, forklift and the standing forklift thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and then I, I love the line, of course, get away from her, you bitch. You know, which is obviously, you know, iconic, you, yeah. know, you know, quote from this movie. But um, they open the door and then the little girl almost gets sucked out and she's like sliding out. And then that half robot that's covered in milk grabs her and like saves her life. Right. Yeah. But I don't know. I just I thought overall, nothing really new. For me, just instead of one alien, it's just multiple aliens. But that's just what I thought. I don't know. We'll, we'll agree to disagree, and mm-hmm. you're wrong. So, I know. I get it. So I'll if you it. had to give it a score, score yep. it out of 10. And uh, mm. I guess two questions. What would you give it as a score to 10, and okay. would you rewatch it again? Uh, out of a score one to 10, I would probably give it a six. And no, I would not watch this movie again. Wow. All right. I, I, I'd give this... Nine on a bad day, nine and a half on a good day, and I would rewatch it right now if it was on TV. And it's so funny because the one we we looked at last week, the Alien, the first one, I would give it a nine out of ten, and I would watch it again in a second. Loved it. I, I it think again. for me, if if both movies were starting now and I could only watch one or the other, I would probably go with this one. Wow, that is, yeah. again, I am the total opposite of that. But I think I think I, I don't think I'm alone in this. I think no, you're not. A hundred random people, the overwhelming majority are going to say the same thing I just said. They're going to say I like no. both. Yeah, I got and it. I like this one better. And given the opportunity to only watch one of the two, most of them are going to pick part two. And it goes back to what I said at the beginning of the podcast. There's five stars on this movie. It's got ninety nine percent. Everybody loves it. We did an episode on greatest sequels of all time. This came up. Even Yancey loves it. I know I'm in the minority. I just didn't like it. I love the first movie. God, it was good. God, that movie last week was so good. But uh, yeah, on this one, I just so, didn't really like. One, one other little thing I want to add then. So since yeah. uh, since Kay wasn't able to to share her specific thoughts, I know she and I have very similar thoughts on this. But one of the things she said to me uh, when we were watching the movie, because I, you know, we we've seen this so many times, we would talk to each other a little bit while the movie was on, especially knowing that we were prepping for the podcast. And I said, we're like, what what are some of the reasons that you really really like this movie? Why does this make your, the top of your list and she said when she she saw in the theater i think when did this come out uh, she would have been about 14 or 15 okay, years old yeah. so uh she had to be accompanied by a parent uh just based on the rating systems in canada so her father took her to see it and he's a great guy that way he'll <laughs> she wants to see a movie he's gonna take her to see the movie it's rated r and, no problem yeah. let's go and um so he, she said like her dad brought her to see this movie and here is she i don't think she had seen the first one or if she had maybe she had seen it on video but here was uh, a female lead kicking ass. And she said, this is the first time she really got to see herself on the screen. And I, I heard the same thing with a lot of people when the recent Wonder Woman movie came out. A lot of young girls were saying, this is the first time I've seen me on the screen. This is the first time, here's a strong woman who's the lead. She's not relying on a man to rescue her. She's not relying on anybody else. She's making decisions. Uh, you know, she's she is the lead, capital L, lead of this movie. And I know that's one of the big things that Kay said really resonated with her when she saw it the first time was that she'd never seen anything like it. And it was a long time before she saw anything like it again. And she very rarely sees this anymore. Uh, Well, it's I mean, none of us see this very often anymore, unfortunately. But this was sort of her first taste of this in a movie theater where, you know, she saw herself on the screen. And and that was what she said is one of the, the main reasons that she has has fallen in love with this movie and continues to do so and continues to watch it over and over again. So I get that's, it. I think that's an important, uh, important I get that. Uh, I guess I guess I get that from the first movie, but I didn't really get that so much from this one. I don't know. Just my thing. 
I just I felt like Sigourney Weaver's character in the first movie was like total kick butt, you know, great hero, and this one is just kind of a mismatch and just just lost in the whole thing. I don't know. That's just me. Anyway, um, sorry, man. Didn't like it. That's <laughs> just the way it I am. On that note, let's have some fun with Caveman. So as you mentioned, we had some technical issues and we weren't able to bring Kay on to, to review the whole movie with us. But I thought that, you know, obviously we would bring her on now to be able to do some uh, some trivia. So, so Kay, thanks very much for joining us. Hi, podcast audience. <laughs> it's great to have you here, Kay. You know, I will, I will uh, thank vote. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. And obviously what I want to do is I know that you two are very uh, competitive, so I wanted to pit you two against each other. So that's what I decided to do. Because you're both so good at these uh, trivia things, you know? And you're a married couple, so we got to have some fun. Now, the thing is, you can't just blurt out the answer. If you think you know the answer, you have to say two, which represents a sequel. Okay? So you say two, and then I will call on you to answer. (laughs) And by the way, my judgments are final. No arguing, okay? All right, so here's the premise. I'm going to name a movie, and you have to name the sequel. Okay? So in right. if, there, if there's like a movie that has more than one sequel, I'm just looking for the movie like right after it. So if I was to say Jaws 2, you would say? Jaws 2. Three. You would say 2, two. correct. Say two. Derek, two. Derek, you have the Jaws floor. <laughs> Jaws 2, The Revenge. No, it's Jaws 3D. You're wrong. You said Jaws 2. I said Jaws 2, and the sequel to that would be? Oh, the sequel to, no. Jaws 3D. Jaws 3D. Okay, so if you think you know the answer, say 2, and I'll call say on two. you. And I'll keep score, and whoever wins gets a, because it's a sequel thing here, right? Gets a DVD of Titanic 2. <laughs> is that Titanic 2 Electric Boogaloo? <laughs> it is. It is it's such a good movie. Uh, since you guys are married, obviously, whoever wins, the other person still gets to enjoy the brilliance of Titanic 2. So everybody wins in this game. Okay. So you got it? I name the sure. movie. You name the sequel. Go. National Lampoon's Vacation. Two. Derek. National Lampoon's European Vacation. Correct. One for Derek, none for Kay. Meet the parents. Two. Kay. Meet the Fockers. Correct. Tied at one apiece. Mad Max. Two. Yes, Kay. Uh, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. I'm sorry that's not correct. Oh, I Derek. know, I know it. Two. Yes. Mad Max, The Road Warrior. The Road Warrior is correct. Next one. The Fast and the Furious. Two. Two. Derek. (laughs) Too Fast, Too Furious. (laughs) Derek is correct. Three for Derek, one for K. Okay. Night of the Living Dead. What's the sequel? Uh, Two. Yes, K. Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead is correct. Yeah. I had no idea. I know my zombie movies. I know you do. American Graffiti. What's the sequel to American Graffiti? Boogaloo? I'm supposed to say two. Two. Uh, two. Derek. Break into Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> that is incorrect. Cade, you know the answer. Um. Oh, I think I know it, actually. You're no, both I incorrect. Don't. It was more American Graffiti. More American Graffiti. That's oh, right. I already had a chance. Too late after I gave my joke answer. All right. The Silence of the Lambs. Two. Two. Derek. Hannibal. Hannibal is correct. Four to two for Derek right now. Dirty Harry. 
What's the sequel? Two. Yes, Derek. Is it tightrope? It is not tightrope. Kay, would you like to answer? The sequel to Dirty Harry is? Um, well, I'll say two. Um, Magnum Force, whatever that thing's Magnum called? Magnum Force no. from 1973 is correct. <laughs> Very good. All right, four to three for Derek. Before Sunrise. What's the sequel? Two. Yes, Derek. Oh, I beat you. Uh, before Midnight. No, you are not correct. Kay, would you before like a shot? Before Sunset. Before Sunset is correct. You are now tied. What is the sequel to Chinatown? Two. Yes, Derek. The Two Jakes. The Two Jakes is correct. Five to four. What is the sequel to The Love Bug? Two. Yes, Derek. Herbie Goes Bananas. Incorrect. Kay, would you like to take a chance? Herbie Goes to Las Vegas? I'm sorry, you're both incorrect. <laughs> it's Herbie Rides Again from 1974. Oh. Speaking of 1974, Benji. What is the sequel to Benji? Sorry, Benji? Yes, Benji. Yes, Derek. Is it Benji the Hunted? <laughs> It is not. Good guess, though. Kay. That was a real Benji movie. It was. Was it? Yeah. Oh, wow. No, I have no idea. It was 1977's For the Love of Benji. Okay. For the Love of Benji. Benji. I had no idea that was the answer. (laughs) All right. What's the sequel to Highlander? Two. Yes, Kay. Highlander 2, The Quickening. Very good. We have a tie game. 5-5. What is the sequel to Elizabeth? 1998's Elizabeth. What is this? Yes, Derek. Oh, I was going to just joke and say Elizabeth 2, but it actually had a title. I can't remember what it is. Elizabeth 2. I don't remember what the rest of the title was. It is not Elizabeth 2 Electric Boogaloo. Kay. Kay, do you have a guess? It's, It's, no, the first one had Clive Owen. Second one did? Second one had Clive Owen. Uh, I don't remember. Yeah, sorry, I can't remember. It was 2007's Elizabeth the Golden Age. Oh, the yeah, last yeah. one, this is a tiebreaker. It's tied 5-5. Oh. Five, five. Do we have a tiebreaker? What is the sequel to 1984's Purple Rain? Two. Yes, Derek. Cherry Moon. You are incorrect. Kay, oh. you have a chance. What is the sequel to Purple Rain? Is it Under the Cherry Moon? It is not, unfortunately. Oh, it is it Sign of the Times? It's 1990's Graffiti Bridge. Oh. oh. So we have ourselves oh, a tie. So that's, that's the sequel to American Graffiti. <laughs> yes. oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> so we have ourselves a tie at 5-5. Five, hey! five. <laughs> the good news Very is hairy, baby. you will win oh, a... We're, we're... We're tied at being better than Chris. Yep. You you will win a copy of uh, the DVD of Titanic 2, which you will both be able to enjoy either way. So it's all good. We had a tie. Go figure. I even gave you an odd number of uh, of uh, topics here trying to get it. But uh, that was, I tried to make them as hard as I could. Well, there were a couple hard ones. Yeah, they were. A couple we guessed at and got right, though. Yeah, so it was good. So I think uh, maybe we'll come back uh, next week with a top five list. Is that what we're going to do? Sounds good. Yeah, sounds like a good plan. And then, you know, after that, then I have to nominate a movie. I should probably get two in a row, too, but I don't know. We'll do that maybe later. Um, uh, Kay, so on, you're available on Twitter, right? At uh, KW underscore Myers. Is that correct? 
That is correct, yes. All right. So if anybody wants to reach out to, to Kay, you can find her there. Uh, you'll find Derek, of course, at Amaron underscore DM. And I'm on Twitter at C. McBrien and popgoesyourworld.com is our website. Uh, you'll find all of our contact information on there. We're going to come back uh, next uh, week with a uh, top five list. But uh, until then, this is Chris McBrien for Derek Meyer saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop thanks culture for podcast me. for the Generations. Kay, thanks for being here. We love having you as always. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 